One of those pieces that obviously God's done this work and um, and we want to uh, we just want to say yes Jesus whatever you want to continue to do right and and it's one of those things you know you make commitments uh, before the, for the Lord and uh, sometimes it's one of those deals where um, you just need to continue to pray for those pieces so let's do this let's take some time and pray for our kids and pray for the, this ones you make commitments Father uh, we thank you for your presence Lord we thank you for the way that you moved. Uh, camp this past week. And, and Lord, we're asking Jesus that you would continue uh, to do this work that you started, that you got to, you're so faithful to complete the work that you've begun. And, and so, Father, we speak that over them and say, Jesus, just continue to finish this work and bless them, Lord, the commitments they've made, those who come to Christ, that God, that you'd help them to bring those, God, just to a, a, a faithful, everyday walk of knowing Jesus, being loved by Jesus, and being obedient. So, Father, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. So I have to say, in all honesty, that, uh, that summertime, honestly, is one of my favorite times uh, of the year uh, for lots of reasons. But one of them, honestly, are the camps that we do. One, obviously, for our Kid Venture Camp that we just celebrated. Uh, and then next would be one camp. They leave next Sunday and they go away for a week. And the thing that I love about summer and the thing I love about camps is this. There's always, I want you to hear this. I want you to, like, this is the one we focus back in, like, all right, Jesus, what are you doing this morning? And I think the work that I want to say that I believe he's doing is that he always raises a moment of like, a, or a, a, he raises an anticipation and an expectation. He raises an anticipation and an expectation of God's doing a, a supernatural work of his spirit. Like every summer we come in and, I, and we get ready for testimonies and telling stories. And I live in anticipation, and expectation of, of people coming to Christ and us celebrating that moment. And we clap and we cheer, right? I anticipate, listen, I anticipate and I expect people saying, yes, God did this unique and powerful work in my life of drawing me near to him. We see even some of the pictures of, uh, of some of our, 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 children with some of our youth and they're hugging and embracing because God was doing unique work in the moment, right? We hear the stories of those who are far off from God and they come back and they're talking about being in relationship with God and those who are far off from other people, they come back and they're talking about being in relationship with other people as in God putting the lonely in families, right? The same happens for youth camp. Every year we anticipate and we expect for our kids to come back, our youth to come back with stories of God's movement. And we celebrate those things. But the thing that challenged me when I was thinking about this idea of anticipation and this idea of expectation is I begin to think, I wonder if we live like that every day of our lives. Like, do we literally live with an anticipation and an expectation of hearing stories of God's movement every day of our lives. Like, I wonder this week, did you live in anticipation and expectation of God even doing something powerful or doing something wonderful? I, I wonder what defines the primary nature of our conversations with people. Is it frustrations and tensions and anxieties in the, in the context of our life? Or is it the expectation anticipation of at least God moving in them? What defines the primary nature of our conversations? What defines the primary nature of our thought? What defines the primary nature of life? 
And I was challenged because I thought to myself, Lord, the, the primary conversations I hear from people or the primary things that I hear that's go, that are going on, I, I, I primarily hear the stories of tension, anxiety, worry, the doubts, the overwhelming nature of things. And I hear very little of the anticipation and the expectation of the faithfulness of the movement of God in the context of our lives. And I don't like that, as I know you don't either. Because I want to be a people, I want vintage to be a people of anticipation and of expectation of God's movement in the context of life. And so this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 5. I think it's a story inside of a story that Luke is telling here in the book of Acts that honestly, that Luke is coming and defining what his anticipation and expectation were of the early church. Like he was defining for them what was happening and then what they can expect more of. Let's read this together. You can follow along the screen. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers that used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade of the porch that was there in the temple. No one else dared join them even though they were highly, no one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. What I want you to recognize is that this set of verses is similar to Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, because in each of these sets of verses, Luke is coming in the moment and kind of summarizing for everyone what's going on in the story. Like if you had that moment, you're telling a story. So, well, before I go into all that, let me just kind of tell you the, the basic deal of what's going on. You kind of set the tone for the story and then you keep on going. That's what Luke is doing here. He's in the moment. He's summarizing for everyone. All right. This is what's been happening. Right. This is what's been happening. And this is what you're going to see all the way to the end of the story. And in the context of Luke, he's trying to set the tone of the of understanding of why the early church in the next verse, verse 17, is about to start experiencing authentic persecution, which leads to the diaspora, the great dispersion, the, the splitting up of the church going out to all places from Jerusalem. He's saying the tone saying, all right, I want to, in the moment, I want to define for you who the church is, what we've been doing, and what you will continue to see all the way to the end of the book of Acts, because this defines who the church is. Therefore, as you continue reading, you can expect and anticipate to see more of these things happening. Because this is who we are. This defines the movement of the church. This is, and these are, the characteristics that define us. Well, what are some of those definitions? What are some of those characteristics that are going on in the early church? Verses 12, 15 through 16, kind of, they set this pace, and it's that we see signs and wonders were performed. Like Luke is coming and saying, all right, in the early church, there are signs and wonders. And he names some of those. Like there's such healings taking place and such, listen, 
listen, such an anticipation and an expectation of healing that people were bringing their sick just having faith that Peter's shadow would bring healing. Like, that's a pretty big deal, right? Like right now, there's a shadow. Like, I'm not expecting this to do anything. I'm just saying, right? But there was such an anticipation and expectation. There was an anticipation and expectation of radical generosity. This miracle happening of people giving up themselves, giving up their finances. We looked at it last week, right? To the point that there were literally no poor among them. Verse 12b, right? The second part of 12b. The believers were regularly gathering together. They were together in Solomon's porch, his colony. Like literally everyone every day, they're coming together. Speaks to the nature of a strong sense of community. A high value of spiritual family. Not talking about bio family, biologically, but recognizing we have our bio family, but it ultimately is in submission to what's going on in the spiritual family that God has placed us in. There's a submission, there's a there's an ownership and a connection outside of bio family to give the best of themselves to their spiritual family. They're one and the same. Man, there's such a connection, a heart of community, giving on themselves, doing life with other people, giving of the best of themselves, nothing held back. It's a beautiful example of spiritual family. We see that in Acts chapter 242 and 247 also. Verse 13, I love this, that they were highly regarded by people around them. Highly regarded by whom? This is the cool part. By unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem, those who didn't believe in the way, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe in the Christ, didn't believe the message of the gospel, highly regarded by them, and by believing Jews, those who were coming in and giving their lives to Jesus. So what do you mean? So I'm saying those who were antagonistic towards the, the way Christianity and those who were not all highly regarded the movement of the Christ following the Christian movement in Jerusalem. They were had a high level of influence. The church had unbelievable influence, both with those who were inside and believed and those who were outside and did not believe. And the last one we see is verse 14 is that people were giving their lives to Jesus. They were getting saved, right? They're getting born again. This is all happening. And so Luke is coming in saying, all right, let me summarize what's been happening. And let me summarize and define for you the characteristics that truly mark the authentic New Testament church. Signs and wonders and miracles are happening. There's an unbelievable sense of, of not just choosing my personal selfish family, but the whole spiritual family as a whole, recognizing what I have does not belong to me. It belongs to the whole and those that are in need. I'm going to recognize we have, I mean, the church has unbelievable influences, highly regarded in the context of believers and unbelievers, and people are coming to Christ left and right, like they did this morning, like they did this past week. There's an anticipation and an expectation for Luke that these things are happening. So let's just press pause. Right now, if I handed you an index card with a pen, and I said to you, all right, everybody, you have five minutes to go before the Lord to think about church, and now I want you to write down the four defining characteristics of the church of America today. 
what would you write? Like, what would you write? I don't want you to say it out loud, right? But what would you write? Like, think about that. Like, what would you write down? Like, what would be the four defining characteristics? If that's too hard, like, how would you define in four characteristics what's going on in the life of vintage? Would it be any different? Hopefully it would be, maybe. But, but how would you define that? Like, when you think about the defining characteristics, because you're responsible for those because you are the church, how would you define those things? How would you define who the church is? Would you use the language of what's happening here in Acts chapter 5? Or go back to Acts chapter 2? Would those be the defining characteristics that you would use to define the church? And I think that if we're honest, we probably wouldn't, right? And I, like, I'm not sure. I'm like, ah, I would like to use those. But I'm not sure that I would. But what would I use? And so the question begins to say, all right, the question is going to ask, well, well, then are we okay where we are? Or should we return to what Luke is naming at the inception of the church? And those should be our primary defining characteristics. I believe this to go back to the purest form of something. We go back to its creation and its formation. That's my personal, that's my personal conviction, right? You may say, well, that, that was yesterday, but this is today. But my personal conviction is that when I look at the purest form of something, we go back to its inception. And I think that ultimately for me, I look at Luke, excuse me, Acts chapter five, the writing of Luke and go, that was, that was what Luke is celebrating. It's what he's telling everyone for the rest of the chapters to anticipate and to expect. And so I live personally under the conviction that signs and wonders are to be a defining characteristic of the church, that living in authentic felt community where our bio family doesn't trump the spiritual family ultimately is the primary component, that we have ultimate influence and authority in the context of our community because we have such a great testimony of the life that we're living that believers and humblers alike go, man, they're awesome. I hate everything they stand for, but I can't deny they're doing awesome things. And lastly, and people go there and they give their lives to Jesus by the droves. Like, I don't know if you want that, but I do. And so in this, let's look a little bit, just a little bit deeper into these things that maybe Luke is defining, that, that, that he's defining, that he's anticipating and expecting. Number one, he is expecting and, anti- listen, he is living his life anticipating and expecting a supernatural movement of God's spirit. Listen, I... Press pause. Everybody pay attention real quick. Don't, don't let me lose you on here. Because I name signs and wonders. And we read like shadows, healing, and miracles. And, and for some of you, that's really, really hard to get your hands around. But let's just do this this morning. What are the things in your life that you can't make happen that only God's movement can make happen? And recognize that's the supernatural area you need God's movement in. What are the areas that you name in your life you can't make happen? What are the things that you're very aware of? Like if God doesn't show up, man, I am royally, royally screwed. I should use that word in church, but I'm going to, right? Like I'm just messed. Like there's no way this is going to happen, right? It's like, oh, there's no hope. Where do you need God's movements? 
Where can't you make something happen as hard as you may try? And I would say this this morning. That's where we all stand in need of a supernatural movement of God's spirit. Whether it's miracles, healings, radical generosity, selling all that you have, whatever it is. Like, where are you in need of God's spirit? And he's saying, that's where I want to move. That's what I want to do. Listen, he's saying, if we believe this. That there's those, those, those moments when we reach the impossible, that's where we comfortably, listen, anticipate and expect God's movement. The second thing is spiritual family. Like, do you live every day just thinking about self and just your bio family? Or do you live every day loving God and loving your neighbor? If I can just press pause real quick and kind of just kind of to just to challenge you does not say love God and your bio family and then secondarily your neighbor. It doesn't say that it says love God. And love your neighbor. The expectation is that you are empowering your bio family to love neighbor. That you're they're doing it with you. It's like you're one whole doing that in ministry together. So we have to begin to ask ourselves, are we living, anticipating, expecting our family together to be an authentic ministry of loving those who are outside of ourselves and inviting them into our family? Are we doing that? Are we committing ourselves? You have to recognize loving your neighbor. It requires God's spirit empowering you and your willingness to get up and do something. God's empowering you all day long to love your neighbor. Are you submitting to it and allowing it to happen? You have to commit. It says, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, your responsibility, and then Christ will shine. There is like God's responsibility and our responsibility. They are married together. Spiritual family requires our commitment, our investment. Listen, we had this men's night, I guess it was Thursday night, and we were sitting here and, and we had the old man's group. Who's part of the old man's group? Charles, I see you. Who else? I see Bill Stevens, right? They're part, they've, named, they've named themselves that, okay? Don't get offended for them, okay? They're not sensitive in that. They know they're old. So, anyway, it's the old man's group. <laughs> no, they know, man. And here's the deal. You want to learn what it looks like to do life together? Talk to Bill and Charles. Charles, listen, Charles is right now, he's wrestling with cancer and it's, it's, he has cancer. Or maybe let's God heal them. We're, we don't know, right? But he's got cancer. He comes up here every Sunday and he dances in worship. He's a terrible dancer. God love him, right? Amen, right? Charles, like, yeah. He gets up here and he worships and he dances. Do you know why he does it? One, because he loves Jesus and God loves Jesus, loves him. Partially because his wife and family love him. Do you know the part of the reason? Because he's buoyed. He's supported. He spoke about it the other night. He's buoyed. He's supported by these men who were part of his life coming alongside and saying, Charles, we will pray with you. We will walk with you. We'll make fun of your hair. We'll make fun of your dancing, right? He's got chemo hair, poor guy, right? This whole dynamic going down. But he's got these guys loving him. Doing life with him. He is not alone. We don't want anybody to be alone. Because people commit to invest themselves outside of what they feel. To give of themselves. To come alongside Charles and say, bro, 
man, we love you. We will be with you. We will fight with you. We will pray for you. We will love you. We will cry with you. Talk to them. It's powerful here in their story, this men's group coming together. The third piece, man, it's like, so we want this. We want to anticipate and expect these things. Third, the high influence in our community. This happens, listen, how do we have a great name and have high regard in our community? It's real simple. And everyone hear this. It begins by not being hypocrites. It begins by not saying, I love Jesus, and then yelling at somebody in an inappropriate way, being rude, getting drunk in their presence, and them going, I thought this person was a Christian, not sleeping with your whoever it is, right? And people recognize, no, it means you live a life that others respect, and you do things that change the community. Live a life that keeps in, that keeps in line with what it means to be obedient to Jesus. Sin is a big deal. Sin separates us from God and sin separates our testimony from the people who need it most. Let's anticipate and expect being obedient to God, loving him so we can love our neighbors, so that people honor us. Listen, let's do the things that change our community. It's why, it's why it's, it, honestly, I love foster care, but the thing I love about it most is that the community around us, our own judge, stood up here and talked about, I love what Vintage is doing in foster care in our community. We have a positive name. We are held in high regard in, in Bartow County, in Cobb County, and in Paulding County because they know that we do foster care and that we love those who are in this community. We're held in high regard. Why do we do it? Because we've been called to love our neighbors. We love ourselves. What does it look like for you? If it's not that, then where is God calling you to be obedient so you can live a life that others can respect? And where is God calling you to do something that impacts the community in such a way that it holds us and honestly holds you as the church in high regard wherever you are? Microcosm, how many of you have a job? It's a microcosm of life. Some of you that raise your hand, you're absolutely lying before the Lord. I'm just kidding. Now, you're like, I'm not raising my hand. It's a microcosm of where you are called, where you should anticipate and expect to have a high level of influence so that others hold you in high regard because of the life that you live and the way that you serve and love others. A great question to begin with is, do they even know you're a Christian? Fourth thing, man, people giving their lives to Jesus. Yes, we want that, Jesus. Yes, we believe that's actually supposed to be happening in our day and age. Yes, Lord, we recognize that people can't know about you unless we live it and we tell it. So, God, would you raise us up then? Would we be people who anticipate and expect to share the love of Jesus everywhere that we go? Let me just kind of, let me just kind of share something with you. There are people that you know who are dying and go to hell today. And Jesus doesn't want them to. Let me say that again because some of you won't pay attention. People that you're friends with today are dying and going to hell. Jesus cares about that. 
We want to be people who care. And so we want to share the good news that can save them. Right? People are dying and going to hell. Jesus doesn't want them to. We shouldn't want them to. So we should do in like manner like Jesus did to make sure that they don't. What did Jesus do? Well, he died so that others could know we have to die to our selfishness, die to our pride, so we can anticipate and expect that salvation comes from Jesus, but it happens to be a message that comes through you and me. And may we be a church, vintage, local churches that are to have defining characteristics of the supernatural movement of God. And we're dissatisfied unless that happens. Are you dissatisfied those things aren't happening or you just kind of just resigned yourself to it? That we are dissatisfied until we live and experience as we anticipate and expect actually people loving their neighbor and living in community with one another? Can we live dissatisfied until we actually have a high level of influence and are highly regarded in our community because of the life that we live? And can we be dissatisfied until we are living, anticipating, and expecting that people are coming to Christ on a regular basis and not just in two weeks in the summer? not my job to save anybody. The job of Jesus through each of us. And so with that in mind this morning, I, we're going to go ahead and end our time. I invite the worship team to come. And here's what I want you to do to end our time this morning. I just want you to be honest about your anticipation and your expectation. I want you to be honest about your anticipation. I want you to be honest about your expectation. Are you living anticipating and expecting these things? If not, what are, how do you define church? How do you define your own life? And here's the thing this morning. I'm not saying these things make you feel bad about yourself. Remember the church at Ephesus? Jesus comes and says, man, I know your good works, but you've lost your first love. Let's return and do what you did before, guys. Just return. Just repent, turn from those things, and let's turn back over here and just do what you before. Let's return to our first love. There's not guilt in this. There's not, oh, condemnation. It's like, oh, yes, thank you. Thank you for waking me from my slumber so I can return back to what I actually believe. Awake, go sleep, or rise. Because I want you to shine on me, Jesus. So would you awaken me to a healthy, holy dissatisfaction, God, until I live anticipating and expecting. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for this word from Luke in Acts chapter 5, God, about awakening us, about saying these are the defining characteristics. This is what I, this is what God intended the church to be at its inception. And we just confess, Lord, as a body, we just confess that when we define the with the four characteristics of who we are, that we probably did, that we didn't use that language. And God, we ask forgiveness. We ask forgiveness for that, Jesus. And we're asking Holy Spirit this morning just for a beautiful conviction. We ask for a beautiful conviction, Jesus. A beautiful awakening. Father, this morning as we, we go into this time of ministry, I... I begin by just praying for those, Jesus, who 
man, they can barely serve. They're barely, they're barely surviving, let alone trying to do something, anticipate and expect anything. I just pray, God, that you would speak to them this morning, that you would bring breakthrough. I pray for those who have anticipated and expected in the past and things just didn't pan out the way they had anticipated or expected and it's just really wounded them. It's really hindered them. I pray for breakthrough. 